Good evening, everyone. What a great community. You guys are laughing and talking. You know each other. And folks are sitting on the front row. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm Althea Brooks, and I'm Director of Lifetime Learning uh, at the University of Virginia in the Alumni and Parents Engagement Office. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back in Danville. I, uh, I visit Danville maybe about twice a year, sometimes three times, and I'm normally bringing a faculty member with me. Tonight I'm bringing Billy Kennedy, who is Vice Provost uh, over Academic uh, Outreach and also Dean of the School of Continuing Professional Studies. He's going to be moderating this panel for us tonight, and we have a fantastic, distinguished panel uh, assembled here tonight. Let's go ahead and make them feel really, really welcome in advance. They'll be introduced in just a little bit, um, but they'll be sharing their expertise and their, their vast knowledge with us tonight. So I, I hope you're prepared and you, you have some burning questions that you also would like to ask. Um, I'd like to thank, pause just a moment and thank the E. Stewart James Grant Trust for contributing to the University of Virginia in such a, a large way. Um, the Engage in the Mind has been coming to Danville for probably about seven years now. and and that's made possible by the East Stewart James Grant Trust. Also, the exhibit that you uh, viewed out in the lobby uh, tonight, uh, mapping, uh, help me, Emma, where are you? Mapping Local Knowledge. That's Emma Edmonds right over here who is the author of that, and she's spoken with many of your uh, local um, historians in the area and provided that, uh, that great exhibit. So um, thank you, E. Uh, Stewart James Grant Trust for your contribution to the University of Virginia. Um, just a couple of announcements before we begin. If you have a cell phone, I ask that you go ahead and turn that uh, to vibrate or silence or turn it off for the next hour or so and um, enjoy this great discussion. Um, also, I'm always looking to, to figure out what I can bring um, to Danville, to the Danville area from the University of Virginia. So if there's um, a burning topic or subject that you'd like to learn a little bit more about, um, I passed out orange feedback cards. Go ahead and give us, some, uh, give us your comments, and we'll, um, we'll try to make those happen for you in the future. Um, also, I'll be passing out index cards in just a few uh, moments. If you um, come up with a question that you'd like to ask this panel uh, towards the end, they'll be taking question and answer. I'll be collecting those um, from you, and we'll um, try to get your question answered. Okay. I'm going to turn things over to the mayor of Danville, Sherman Saunders. He'll be introducing our panelists uh, for tonight. So, again, thank you for being here. I'm glad you came out, and I'm glad to be back in Danville. Thank you, Mrs. Brooks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am honored to be here tonight to welcome you to the city of Danville, but more importantly to our region, and it certainly includes Danville, Pennsylvania County, Martinsville, Henry County, Patrick County, um, Halifax County, everywhere than the 100-mile radius. We're glad that you're here. Education is certainly important not just to our city, to our region, but to our world. The world is changing, and we must become more advanced in what we do to make certain 
that we can stay on top and compete with the rest of the world. All of us were in school at some point. Some still are in school. But we know the education today is taking a different focus, a different trend. And we must adapt and adjust as we move along. Things do change, and we are trying to make things better for those coming behind us. I am very thankful and appreciative that Councilman Buddy Raleigh, you please stand, sir, is here tonight. And thanks for coming. Others would be here, but as you will see in a few minutes, Councilman Raleigh and I will need to leave. We have a city council meeting tonight that starts in a few minutes. So we must be there. So I am honored that you are here, and I'm going to give you some homework before the forum begins. That is, take notes tonight on what you hear. And when you leave this forum, go back and tell everyone you know what you learned, what you observed, and what they need to do to make things better for themselves, their community, and our world. We're glad you're here to get the information, but don't leave it here. Take it with you and share it with everyone that you know and ask them to share it as well. I am very pleased to introduce our panel tonight, and I'm using the order on your program and not as you see our guests sitting. So I am very pleased, again, that this forum has come to our city, to our region, and we know that you will be pleased as well. Dr. Billy Kennedy, the Vice Provost and Dean at the University of Virginia, School of Continuing and Professional Studies. He holds a bachelor's degree from Virginia Tech. He holds a master's degree from Hampton University and a doctorate in administration from Virginia Tech. He will be tonight's moderator. Mayor Kim Atkins is mayor of the city of Martinville, Virginia, owner of Kia Consulting Services, LLC, a public relations marketing and fundraising company. The mayor holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Maryland, where she was also a college cheerleader. Yeah, she was. <laughs> she is a certified publication specialist from George Washington University. She has completed graduate work in public administration. Dr. Tiffany Franks is president of Avery University. She holds a bachelor's degree from Ohio Dominican University and a master's degree from Ohio State University and a doctorate in higher education management from University of Pennsylvania. Charles Charlie Majors, Executive Chairman of American National Bank and Trust Company, a graduate of Auburn University, a graduate of the University of Virginia Law, of Virginia Law School, yes, holds an, attorney, holds an honorary doctor of humanities degree from Abe University. He's also a former school board chairman of Danville Public Schools. He is a veteran of the United States Army. Dr. Edward Newsom is superintendent of Danville Public Schools. He holds a bachelor's degree from Elizabeth City State University, a master's degree from Bowie State University, 
and a doctorate in educational leadership from Nova Southeastern University. He is a veteran of the United States Army, having served in the 82nd Airborne, where he had nothing better to do except jump out of airplanes. We are thankful that he did not incur any injuries. Ladies and gentlemen, our panel for this evening. Let's welcome them. <laughs> Dr. Kennedy. Mayor, thank you very much for that introduction of the panel, and uh, I wish you and uh, your colleague uh, much success this evening, and, and hopefully everyone will agree with you. If not, they will allow you to make act, take action without too much um, grief. I can tell we have quite a few Baptists in, in here because uh, the back row filled up very quickly. And so uh, they, we didn't have any uh, bulletins there, but uh, they did begin to seat themselves quickly. Uh, this evening, you're here, um, all of us sharing one great interest, um, one that really causes us to think and pause about the importance of the next generation of you. They'll be the leaders of a community. They'll be the ones that will make key decisions in communities. Uh, they'll be the ones that actually take care of you and make decisions for you and with you. So tonight's edu uh, panel is going to be talking about what does it take to really create an excellent system of education. And you might ask yourself, why excellence? And why can't you just have a good system? Each of you probably have a story like this, but I want to tell you the story that, I, that causes me to understand what we mean by an excellent system and why it's important. Um, many years ago, uh, my wife and I, um, uh, like uh, most men, uh, we had to take our, uh, I take my wife to a, an outpatient center and she'd have some very serious surgery. We had lost our daughter about uh, eight years before that time, and so going to a hospital, especially an outpatient hospital, uh, a doc in the box, was not very comfortable for me. So as I got there, uh, a young lady came out from the pre-op area and said to me, Dr. Kennedy, we're going to take very good care of your wife. And I thought that was very comforting for her to say that. And then she said, oh, by the way, you were my principal when I was in middle school. <laughs> so I smiled at her, and as she went back in the back, I said to myself, oh, God, I hope we were good for her. <laughs> it helped me to understand I didn't want a good nurse. I wanted an excellent nurse. I wanted excellent health professionals to make a difference for my wife and for me. And so when we talk about excellence, it's not perfection. Aristotle says it best, and you probably know that. It's about high intentions, uh, intelligent execution, and then wise choices among many alternatives. That's what we mean by an excellent system of education that everyone should expect and everyone should understand what's required to make it happen. Tonight we have four great panelists that are going to talk about this from a, a large perspective, uh, from higher education, from K-12, uh, from the mayor of a city, and then certainly um, the CEO of a large and very influential business. Each of them have a vested interest in an excellent system. So this conversation could be, it's in Danville tonight, but it could be in any community around, again, how do you create a high quality of life for those who live in that community now and those who will live and guide the community in the future. So we're going to start out with, first of all, again, the perspectives of preparing children before they actually get to school from a higher education official, Dr. Tiffany Price.
It's wonderful to be here. I can't thank you all enough for coming and supporting um, and being a part of this conversation. I want to add my words of appreciation to the University of Virginia and to Vice Provost Billy Canaday for, for hosting such an important conversation for our region. I'm not sure there's any more important topic in our region nor any investment that we will make that can give a greater return than investing in the, our region's children and our, our region's youth. Wouldn't all of you like to see a culture throughout our region that has a deeper and a more durable value for education? Mm -hmm. I thought you would nod your heads yes. And wouldn't you like to equip the children of our region with the needed skills and competencies to be ready for school, to be ready for college, to be ready for careers, and to be ready for life? I believe without a doubt this is possible in our region. And in fact, I would argue that it's already begun. Now, you may be thinking, how so, Tiffany? How is that the case? And I would say, thank you for asking. Let me explain. And then I'm going to offer some thoughts as to steps that I think we can take from here. Our region understands that learning begins at birth, not kindergarten. And not only does our region understand this, we're doing something about it. The years birth to five are critical, and research shows that 85% of a child's critical thinking skills are developed by age three. It's during these first five years that children learn to learn. This means we need confident and trained caregivers, parents or child care providers to ensure that children learn how to play well with others and to express or to experience learning as a positive and as an exciting endeavor. Children who are in supportive families, who are living in communities where there's access to health care and responsive caregivers are far better prepared for success in school. Kindergarten readiness is important because students who, who are behind, who start out behind, they will generally stay behind throughout the rest of their years in school and then in life. Our children must be reading at grade, grade level by third grade. Children are learning to read until third grade, and they're reading to learn thereafter. Getting children ready for school leads to significant economic and social benefits, including a productive workforce for our region. The return on investment is clear. Investing in early learning in children's early years pays off. Quality early education reduces crime rates, teenage pregnancy, welfare dependency, job training costs, special education costs, Repeating grades and quality early education increases success in school, graduation rates, workforce readiness, job productivity, community engagement. There is mounting evidence that shows early childhood education is a much better economic development tool than, than I would say any other um, economic development scheme, but the research says than other economic development schemes. Programs targeted at the earliest, zero to three, 
have a 7-to-1 return on investment in human capital versus a 1-to-1 ROI for adult job training. Early childhood education makes good business sense. In our region, the Danville Regional Foundation and its board of directors recognize the importance of giving every child in our community the opportunity for a smart beginning. And for this, we are so deeply grateful, Dr. Stauber and Charlie. Thank you. This investment is the single largest per capita investment that's been made in school readiness in all of the Commonwealth. This is significant, and it's right here in our region. This is an effort where we, as the business and the educational community, have to be all in because everyone, every one of us has a stake in this effort. So what are we working to accomplish through Smart Beginnings? Our goal through the Smart Beginnings initiative is that by 2015, 95% of children in Danville, Pennsylvania County who are entering kindergarten will score at or above benchmark on the PALS-K assessment, which is a key indicator of the state of education in our region. That 100% of third grade children will pass the reading SOL and that there will be a specific focus on the feeder zones for the eight lowest performing schools. Smart Beginnings Danville, Pennsylvania County is about creating long-lasting, sustainable change. Three years ago, the Danville Public Schools had the fifth lowest performance on the PALS-K in our state. Since 2011, I really want you to hear this, since 2011, pre-literacy rates in Danville have improved 12% and by 3% in Pennsylvania County. That is fabulous. And I need to say that in Pennsylvania County, we were already at the state level, so they've improved 3% on top of that. But here in our city, pre-literacy rates have improved 12% since 2011. I think that deserves a round of applause. Smart Beginnings continues to provide support and convene collaborative conversations between Head Start, the Virginia Preschool Initiative, private child care providers, and all other service providers. Smart Beginnings is offering quarterly opportunities for high-quality professional development opportunities for anyone who's working in child care. Smart Beginnings has implemented a star rating system that tells a parent that a child care center is safe, that it has a nurturing environment for children. 18 of the 19 full-time licensed child care centers are participating in the star rating system. Again, that is a remarkable step that's happening in our community. Smart Beginnings offers incredible years, which is an evidence-based parenting education program to over 100 families every year. Smart Beginnings is working with other community agencies to increase the availability of parent education and support. All of this is about systems building, and it's a process. It's an all-in effort. Advancing school readiness is an economic development strategy. 
We all have to know that. It's an economic development strategy, and we're making real gains in early childhood education, and we've got to sustain, and we've got to build upon these, these, um, the, the progress that we're having, which is why we need to talk about what that next important step is. And I would argue that it is a birth to young adulthood model. It's what we know as cradle to career. This past April, more than 70 pre-K and K-12 educators from Danville, Pennsylvania, and Caswell counties came together at Averett for what we called an education summit. And its focus was on college and career readiness. Speakers represented perspectives from early childhood education through workforce development. Teachers and, and administrators left that summit committed to continuing the conversation about how do we prepare the youth for our region for post-secondary education, for careers, and for life. The challenge, by 2025, 65% of all jobs will require certification or industry-recognized credentials, but fewer than 40% of Americans are educated beyond high school. In our region, it's more like 16%. One solution, and I happen to think it's the best solution, is a coordinated approach among all the various sectors of our community to align our resources and to align our efforts to develop strong transitions throughout our entire educational system and to strengthen workforce preparation. What if we as a region brought together all the various groups, pre-K, K-12, after school, higher ed, workforce development, our hospitals and healthcare community, our faith-based organizations, our city and county leaders, and the business community? What if we brought all of them together to collaborate and build a shared vision for what needs to happen at every stage of a young person's life from cradle to career? I believe that no single organization, regardless how innovative or powerful they are, can accomplish this task alone. Imagine how successful we will be when we focus on our shared goals and build linkages between all of our various institutions involved along the cradle-to-career spectrum. Imagine how much stronger we will be as a region once we develop a shared vision of success for that complete continuum of education in our region. I know you hear that theme in my remarks. It's because I feel so strongly about it. But imagine when we coordinate across all sectors rather than from individual organizations working on isolated interventions Imagine what it will be like when all of us undertake activities for which our organizations excel and we align in support of this shared vision to support educational success across our region. This is what it means to have true community impact. Yes, each of our schools and our businesses and our organizations that serve along this cradle-to-career cr cradle spectrum fulfill our unique missions each day, and we do it with good results for our individual constituencies. But imagine how much stronger we will be by focusing holistically and by looking at which aspects of our missions can be unified. 
We've got to ask what kind of community do we want to produce? What, what defines a healthy, thriving community? What are the desired outcomes that we all share? What are the needed skills and competencies the children of our region need, need to have to be ready for school, to be ready for college, to be ready for careers and life? We must be certain that we have a very large table that's filled with all the key partners. We've got to leverage our strengths individually and collectively. We must remember that this is a long-term change process and that it, it's not only strategic, but we have to be bold. And it also has to be based on realistic timelines with a clear roadmap for implementation. We must be willing to adapt and be nimble along the way. We're going to have to learn from our mistakes. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, to take risks, to let go of what has felt right individually. And we need to be able to adapt to shifting priorities. We need to break down psychological barriers by challenging the negative perceptions, by highlighting the potential, and by promoting the possible. I would say we already have such positive initiatives underway throughout our region, and much of our work will be in connecting these initiatives to create a shared regional vision for a cradle-to-career pathway. We each have our roles in this process, the business community, the schools, higher education, the faith-based organizations, all of us, our city leaders, we all have our distinct roles. And the issues are complex. The solutions are bigger than improving our schools. We're at a crucial turning point in how we prepare today's workforce and the workforce of 20 years from now truly begins on how we act today. Together, we do have the potential to make incredible change in our region and know that Avery University feels very honored to help facilitate this conversation throughout our region. I hope you will partner with us as we continue to move forward in creating an exciting vision for our region. Let's all see the possible. Thank you. While uh, uh, Dr. Newsom comes to the uh, dais, I'm going to ask if you would write down a question that you might think, again, after each speaker. There will be about 10 minutes per speaker. After that, there will be questions that you can ask of any of the panelists based on what you've heard. But I would encourage you strongly to ask a question that really is related to anything you might hear from one of the panelists. This time, Dr. Newsom. Okay, thank you. Good evening, everyone. I need to hear a little bit more than that. Good evening. All right. The mayor has uh, talked about me being a paratrooper. And uh, so my speech was not going to be saying anything about being a paratrooper. My wife says I like to talk about those kind of things. But I will tell you I learned one thing um, as related to jumping out of airplanes. And that is how do I measure my perspective? Because when you look from a distance on what's below, you begin to think about how different a perspective is from a different vantage point. And so I'm going to talk to you just a little bit tonight about my perspective of what has to happen to transform education 
uh, in the 21st century. And so we're already here. And uh, so that's uh, what I like to be thinking about because our perspective has to be different. It's not necessarily better, but it is different. Now, Dr. Kennedy referenced um, Aristotle, who stated that excellence is not an accident. And then in his quote, he says, it is always a result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It represents the wise choices of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines your destiny. And so the question before us, all of us tonight, and for all of us in education is, what choices will we make as we prepare children for the next generation? And uh, some of you have heard about this educator named um, Ron Edmonds. And Ron Edmonds was uh, a person who's called the father of effective school movement. In other words, he had a scientific methodology that where if you apply seven principles in school work and school reform, then there was virtually a guarantee that students will achieve. And so he makes this profound proclamation, and he says, we already know everything we need to know about what makes children successful. The issue is, will we do what we know to do? In other words, what choices will we make as a result of what we know? And so what I think is that we should reshape and reevaluate our thinking and our perspective. About 30 years ago, a team of educational forecasters, not the Jane Dixon type people, and the young people are looking at me thinking, who is that? Some of you know who Jane Dixon was. And uh, so these two researchers, one uh, person's name was Margaret Gale, and the other person was uh, Marvin Cetron. They wrote a book, 20. 21st century renaissance, education in the 20, 21st century. And they were forecasting, looking at trends in business, looking at trends in industry, and looking at trends in education of what needed to be done as we prepared children for the next generation. And so they said, over 30 years ago, 85% of the jobs that will exist in the 21st century don't have titles yet. 85% of the jobs that will exist in the 21st century don't have, job, don't have titles yet. So how do you prepare people for jobs and titles that don't exist? I mean, how many of you saw 60, 60 Minutes one uh, Sunday night? If you didn't see 60 Minutes and you opened up your email or your internet, you saw these drones, that Amazon has these drones. And uh, these drones are supposed to, and they said they expect this technology to be available for everybody within the next five years, and they just drop the package, bring the package down in your front lawn, release it, and they fly away. Now, if I had said something like that a week ago, you would have looked at me and said, how is that possible? And uh, I was sharing with one of my staff today, uh, it's easy to look at the drone, because drones have been around quite a, quite a while. I mean, it's been using in the, the film industry and a lot of industry. And so as I thought about that, I'm thinking, I'm not saying just a package delivery. 
what Ed Newsom sees is about six or seven jobs. Who's going to design these things? Who's going to uh, uh, prepare uh, the safety features so these, these drones don't just drop out of the air? Who's going to design the systems so, why they don't, so they don't collide? Who's going to design the systems where these uh, drones, um, the computerized systems in these uh, vehicles or these things? And I'm thinking, Marvin Cetron and Margaret Gale were right. There were not titles for these kind of jobs just 30 years ago. Here's what they said, that within the next, this century, there would be a 70% increase in jobs in the healthcare fields, way before we knew about Obamacare. It doesn't matter about Obamacare or anything like that, because jobs in the healthcare fields were going to increase by 70%. They also said there were going to be a 70% increase in jobs in the health care, I mean, in the hotel and travel industry. People were going to travel worldwide. The, the walls of separation around the world were going to disappear. Industry and jobs would be available across oceans that you could do in one place in America and accomplish a need overseas. 70% of those jobs would be in that field because people would live different. They would take leisure in a different way. So they knew that. They said there would be a 70% increase in jobs in the technology fields. And we know that to be true. I think they forecasted correctly. The issue is, did we do what we knew, to do, what we, knew we should be doing? An example of that is this. Some of you know about the word processor. Anybody know about the word processor? Remember that? I keep looking at this group in front of me. <laughs> Generation something else. And so everyone flocked to school to work on word processors. It oversaturated the industry. And here's what happened. Something else came along. Technology continued to grow. So what you saturate the industry in may not be the job or the occupation that you're looking for. You have to think from a different perspective. And so Marvin um, Cetron was thinking from the, uh, that perspective. And so how do we prepare people for jobs that don't exist? Do we prepare people with job skills or abilities? That is to think about. That is a different perspective. My goal or my strategy for getting people to think out of the box is not to try to get them to get out of the box. It is to destroy the boxes. Because once you destroy the boxes, there's no reason to have to think like the past or for the past. And so when I think about workforce readiness and career and college readiness, they really mean the same. Some people think they mean different. They mean different. You cannot enter the workforce today and not have at least, and get at least two years of additional training to do that job. So you have to move on the same trajectory. Dr. Franks talked about some of the trajectory. Here's what we know. We know that children who finish, first of all, who enter kindergarten today, by the time they finish kindergarten, should at least be ready for first grade. We know that. They need to have about a 85% vocabulary that's useful. 
We know that to be on the college and workforce trajectory, students will need to perform at least proficient on the SOLs. Now, no matter what you think about the SOL, about their validity or whatever, I don't think that children would be ready for the 21st century being just proficient because proficiency is a minimum competency. Children need to be engaged in rigorous kind of instruction. So when we say proficient, we mean first step, basically ready. We know that children to be on the trajectory to graduate from high school, college, and career ready need to, at least in the fifth grade, be ready to score advanced in reading to be successful in algebra because of the reasoning that's involved in algebra. Isn't that right, Dr. Paul Amos? We know that children to be on trajectory need to be at grade level or better in math, and I don't need to tell you what's going on in math by middle school. We know that children need to be taking at least geometry successfully with a C or better by the 10th grade. We, we know that children need to score at least a 1450 on the SAT and a 2200, I mean a 22 on the ACT to just be ready for the workforce. The question is, are we preparing students at that age in school to do that? And so, here's what two of the great speakers of our day said. One is Thomas Friedman. He said, in the world is flat, he said the children need to have two attributes to be successful in the 21st century. Not employable skills, but he said two attributes. One is the love for learning. Two is how to be critical thinkers. Now, love for learning is an adult thing. We can make sure kids love learning. But critical thinking, we have something to do with that, but it has a lot to do with the relevance. Do we make children think and believe that what they're learning is important? Are there authentic opportunities for children? Are there useful opportunities to use what they know? That's where critical thinking happens. And poverty and other conditions don't control critical thinking. You can critical think and be from poverty. I just want you to know that. And so another contemporary, uh, Pink, says, uh, Daniel Pink says, you know, I think that we're dependent on rote thinking. There's too much rote thinking. And he says, right-brainers will rule the world. So creative arts, those kind of things that kids get a chance to do where they're not locked into rote thinking is really preparing children to be leaders in the world as we move forward. So now, who is going to help do this in public schools? They're going to be Generation Xers, <laughs> people who were born between... 1965 and 1980. The Generation Xers are likely to be people who understand the value of technology and how technology will, will lead them in their thinking and what they do. And so I'd like to think that um, these people who use, uh, who are able to move in the right brain of the right side of their brain will be able to redefine how they learn. They will be able to learn, unlearn, and relearn. If you just depend on rote thinking, then it's, it's hard to shift into 
when you have to independently be responsible for solving an issue. And so we don't want kids to do that. Kids will need to modify and able to modify their practice to be able to work with cooperative groups and to achieve a task. They will need to augment what they know for something different. And they will need to know how to substitute, use different pedagogy and thinking in the place of something that does not work. And so are we preparing students to do that? Well, we have to. And so what we're thinking about in Danville Public Schools is to extend this concept of career academies. In the health sciences, we're going to improve that or extend that. In the arts and sciences, we're going to get kids and push kids and have kids to go into the fields and want them to be in the arts and to appreciate the arts. In career, uh, in careers of uh, the STEM careers, I will tell you, if we focus on just engineering, architecture, those kind of things, here's what we, we know is happening. Some of the MIT level graduates around the world will do those jobs in engineering and technology for minimum pay, $650 a month. If they will do that around the world, then those fields are gonna be oversaturated too. So even though we're interested in STEM education, we're not gonna rely on STEM education to be our driver for what kids can do in the future. We're gonna increase our um, thinking about the academies of finance to make sure that we infuse entrepreneurship and those kind of skills that were uh, prepared children to be able to translate what they do across the globe. Because money will, the way money works, you make it work here, but it's working for somewhere else in the world. And so kids need to be prepared for that. We're going to uh, develop a technology academy wherein students can take um, opportunities for virtual learning, uh, for um, distance learning, uh, video gaming, homeland security, and those kind of skills that will, kids can use and transfer. Remember I said augment uh, in, in, in any occupation. Now. My last quote is going to be by a person named Emerson. And Emerson, um, you know, is known as, um, for a lot of quotes, but I don't think not too much of the one I'm going to uh, mention. He says that we can not prepare the future for our children, but we can prepare our children for the future. Generation Xers are going to be our educators. They're going to work in our communities. We've got to be ready for what they do and can do and bring our students along accordingly. Now, so I'm not too much thinking about the past because most of our educational system is designed for now and back then or back when. I'm interested in preparing students for what they need to know in the future. We're going to get, have to get away from how we think about textbooks because a lot of textbooks is, is about what happens now and in the past. We're going to have to use technology and those kind of technology platforms to really point kids to what can happen in the world, change their perspective. Thank you very much. We now have uh, Mayor Atkins who's going to talk about um, 
importance of education and an excellent system of education from a community-wide perspective as a mayor. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming this evening and spending your time with us away from your family. And hopefully your takeaway is going to be inspirational after tonight. Um, I am most honored to be here to take part in this distinguished panel as I hold Tiffany Franks and Charlie Majors in the highest regard in community leadership and in their chosen professional fields. And Ed Newsom as well, as I have learned that uh, he is a pioneer in education from Maryland, my home state, go Terps, um, and, uh, and a great addition uh, to Danville's leadership. Uh, Dr. Newsom, I really am looking forward to our working together for many years to come. I also want to thank UVA for hosting this event to create a thoughtful, interactive exchange of ideas that is regionally focused versus locale-specific. Because when it comes to advancing big change of any kind, state or nationwide, a single locale or entity cannot do it alone. So, Dr. Kennedy, thank you. As a local elected official, as with my colleagues in elected office, I am highly committed, almost obsessed, with trying to create a, po a positive uh, environment for economic growth for the locale that I represent in the city of Martinsville, where I have one, and what I would like to do is have an increased capacity to grow our tax base, and two, the ability to position businesses to create and sustain jobs and provide opportunities for residents to accomplish their dreams and support their families with livable incomes. I hope you will agree with me that this holds true for Danville and in the surrounding counties of Pennsylvania, Halifax, Henry, and Patrick, a footprint of Southern Virginia's region. We have made strides, but I have learned creating an environment for economic growth will not happen being parochial in thought. Regionalism is a key, is where resources are key and leveraged. Revenue is shared and system change is warranted, as Dr. Franks eloquently stated in her remarks regarding system change. When I personally reach this point of where regionalism can take over and can almost become exhausted, exhausting or almost an annoyance because it's slow. It doesn't happen overnight. I am reminded of the three musketeers, not Thomas Freeman, the three musketeers, and one of their quotes, all for one and one for all. As we all know, quote, like this quote is symbolic of unity. And it also means, as it relates to local government and silos of any kind, we all need to look out for ourselves and our constituents first. But we can't do it, we can't do it very well or alone unless we are the collective one where our locales and entities come together as a region and put aside their parochial actions to unite to look out for each other. Southern Virginia is the three musketeers of regionalism, where everyone has a vested interest to unite, to look out for each other in order to position their specific city or county for economic growth. If not, all of us in Southern Virginia will continue to struggle and may be in a serious quandary in the not-so-distant future. 
quoting Ben Franklin, we must all hang together or assuredly hang separately. I think I can speak for many of us in local office. We have high expectations for our K through 12 school systems. We expect them to work miracles. We're exceeding federal and state requirements, hiring the best, creative, diverse teachers, and cultivating curious, bright, hardworking, and career-ready students are the expectation, despite the obstacles thrown their way. And we expect all of this with um, our K-12 through school officials uh, not asking for any additional local allocation of funding. Likewise, our school systems expect their respective elected officials to be supportive in understanding of the rapidly changing dynamics related to their efforts to educate and an ever-changing customer base overlaid by federal and state performance mandates, which many are unfunded. Changing demographics and socioeconomic challenges are impacting the ability of our school systems to deliver, and our educators expect elected officials to be cognitive of the challenges these issues present. As local elected officials, we can do more to support our K-12 school systems. As a region, we have already come together to, to start changing the culture of education. Just look at our community colleges, the Southern Virginia Higher Education Center, Averett University, and uh, New College Institute, and the Institute as examples. But, we, but, but what, what we can do as the Musketeer region is to increase the capacity of our K-12 school systems to do their miracles so that our students have unlimited options in life to pursue their dreams and ambitions and our employers have the best talent they need to stay competitive and grow their business. With limited local resources, tough choices are always evident because needs are high in all sorts of local government from public safety and all of those other services that our citizens expect. I think our region has, get, has taken a positive step to start a regional discussion for K through 12 in the short term with the Dan River Region Collaborative and its efforts to secure the certified work ready community designation where skills and hard work are measured and verified by employers. While our region's community colleges have been using the career readiness certificate to validate skills attainment for many years now, and the Commonwealth is actually a pioneer nationwide with this unique credential. It took an initiative such as this in Southern Virginia to engage local government, the private sector, and educators to advocate to use the Career Readiness Certificate Assessment to tell a different story about our great workforce, especially our emerging workforce those graduating from high school and entering the work environment for the very first time. Nearly all of our school systems in the region have embraced this initiative and are having juniors and seniors take this test so their skills will be val validated upon graduation. I predict the success of this work ready initiative will determine our desire to really change the culture of education 
starting early in our K-12 school system. Kudos to the Dan River Region Collaboratives for making this happen, and I see many of faces on the collaborative here tonight. So thank you. So let's put this discussion more into context of tonight's quote for our consideration by Aristotle. And let me repeat the quote, and it is on the back of your program. Excellence is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It presents the wise choices of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines our destiny. The first thing that resonated with me after reading the first part of this quote, excellence is never an accident, was it is always the result of intelligent execution. We can have the best ideas, the sincerest intentions, and unprecedented local, public, and private resources, but without an intelligent execution or plan, excellence or or the ultimate outcome will be unattainable and a disservice to businesses and the citizenry. This is true in in any any, um, occupation, in business, R&D, and in all public service expectations, and most notably in education. A smart, sustainable plan is essential. We have an opportunity to tell a different story with the Certified Work Ready Community designation and to leverage significant funds at the state and congressional levels for K-12. Again, I'm speaking from a local government's perspective. With the Certified Work Ready Community Initiative, we have an excellent execution and intelligent execution plan in motion already. And it is up to all of us in this room to keep that momentum going to earn this designation by the set goal date of July 1st, 2014, which is coming just around the corner. And with leveraging significant additional funds, which I think the Certified Work Ready Initiative is going to position us for doing this, let's say in the millions of dollars, we have a regional infrastructure already in place. We don't have to reinvent the wheel with our planning district commissions where, the, uh, where we have local governments already in place and business community and educators that could uh, work through our planning district commissions. So my call to action for you and for a platform for continued tonight's discussion For all of you here in business, ask your Chambers of Commerce to help you sign up to support the Certified Work Ready Community Initiative and to connect you with the appropriate community college official to learn more about the career readiness uh, certificate credential that validates skills and hard work. And for those of you here in local government and in the K-12 school system, reach out to your planning district commissions for assistance. They will give you guidance and have a built-in coalition of local governments to advocate on all of Virginia's behalf at the congressional level. Planning planning district commissions nationwide are highly regarded and at the staff congressional level for their expertise and professionalism. Plus, they have a wealth of information and, in my view, are underutilized and local governments' best-kept secret for millions of dollars they bring 
to the region for economic growth. Education is the key to economic growth, and there are competitive state and congressional funds the planning district commissions can leverage on Southern Virginia's behalf to increase our K-12 capacity to work miracles. I hope my remarks will, will spark an ongoing conversation and additional ideas for tonight and later on how best to proceed as an all-for-one and one-for-all musketeer region to, one, secure a certified work-ready designation in the short term, and two, leverage highly competitive state and federal dollars for K-12 so that K-12 systems can be in a better sustainable position to work their miracles in the long term. Thank you. Mr. Charlie Major will be our last speaker before we entertain questions from the audience. I could probably just say amen to the good comments that have been made by these uh, uh, outstanding leaders. Uh, however, those of you who know me, I, I won't just do that. Uh, I, I do want to just add a few comments from the perspective of, of business. Uh, I believe education is one of the critical components of a community. A successful community will have a strong, successful public education system. Our topic that was given us tonight was entitled, Children Need a Better Education Law. My thesis to you tonight is that the federal law known as No Child Left Behind may be outmoded and broken, but the real fix is based on our action as a community. The community must, as, as Aristotle talked about, wise choices. I believe the community must make wise choices and not rely upon chance or the action of others for a successful education system. The private sector, including the business community, cannot push total responsibility to the schools, the school boards, the teachers and administrators, or the city councils or county boards. Responsibility must rest with the entire community, including the business community, the parents, and other residents of the community. Now, what will these wise choices include? I think they will include expectations. The community has expectations for the schools and those who run them. The school community has expectations as well for the community. These are, there are expectations by the parents. There are expectations for the private sector, including the business community. We must each convey our expectations to the other groups. We cannot hold them accountable for expectations that have not been fully set forth. Now, what are the expectations the private sector might have for the schools? I think the first is the opportunity for the students. We should expect equal opportunity. Not equal results, but equal opportunity. We cannot focus on just one segment of the students. We must offer opportunity for all of them. Now, I don't think that means the same 
classes for everyone. It means the right classes for everyone. I think we also have the expectation of discipline. Education cannot take place without appropriate discipline. We have an expectation that the curriculum should produce students who graduate. But even more, we think the curriculum should produce students who, when they graduate, are ready for higher education, the workplace, which will probably require additional training, or the military. I think we have an expectation the curriculum should produce students who can read, write, communicate, and work on teams. We have expectation that the curriculum should not just require rote memorization for standardized tests, but should promote thinking. And we have an expectation that we must show respect for the teachers, the administrators, and the staff who work with the students. What are the expectations the schools and those working in and with it might have for the private sector? I think they have a right to expect support from us, support of all type. We must commit time as necessary to work in and with the schools and to develop the necessary plans. We must let the governing bodies know that education is a priority, and it must be treated that way. This means financial priority for education, not wasting money, but effective and use of taxpayer resources. We must be willing to give political cover when needed. Politicians react to public sentiment, rightly or wrongly. Loud does not necessarily mean right. We must also let the schools know that the skills their graduates will need, what, what skills the, the, their graduates will need to be successful. This is an important role for the business community. We must let them know what we need for them to have in those skills. And we must be willing to support discipline even when it affects our own children or grandchildren, schools must be learning centers, not holding tanks. Our children must arrive at school ready to learn. That means we have a responsibility for early childhood education, for adequate nutrition, for support and reinforcement of our teachers at home and in the community. To the extent these expectations cannot be met by the families, we as a community must see that they are provided. Now, these expectations cannot be met as separate items. We must have communication and cooperation at all levels to achieve the high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution that Aristotle stated were requirements of excellence. School officials must communicate and cooperate with teachers and parents, and vice versa. Parents must be involved, must understand what the objectives are, 
and must support the teachers and school officials. The school boards and the governing bodies, city councils and board of supervisors, must communicate and cooperate as well. The school divisions, the colleges and universities must work together. Community organizations, including churches, must reach out and work with our schools. The schools must let the community know what is going on and where they are headed. Information and communication will foster support. The state and federal governments, national organizations, foundations, consultants, and other experts can provide aid and guidance. Laws can be passed. Regulations can be implemented. But the ultimate success or failure for education in this community, as in any community, will depend upon our willingness to work together for the benefit of our children and our community. So I would say we do not need to be concerned about is the federal law working or not working. We need three things. We need expectations, we need communication, and we need cooperation. Thank you. So you've been listening for the last another been listening for the last 40 minutes or so uh, to perspectives on what the roles of government, business, K-12, and higher ed must be in creating an excellent system of education for every child. Now we'd like to hear what your questions, burning questions, might be that really you feel are important as part of this conversation that would lead to intentional action and not just describing what you see. I have one question that's already been uh, submitted, and uh, this question is um, one that speaks to what steps are, in this case it's Danville Public Schools, but it could be any school system, what steps are being taken to ensure that public school students have access to technology, especially when they're not in school? Okay, that's a great question. That question could have come from one of my staff. Um, actually, in terms of all of the schools uh, in, in our division, uh, there's quite a bit of technology. The issue is the use of technology in the classroom. So I'm a proponent of two uh, specific items. One is blended learning, where there is a requirement that technology is used in the classroom to enhance the learning. The second is that I'm a proponent of uh, anytime, anywhere learning. And what needs to happen for that is that every student needs to have a technology device, whether it is a laptop um, or a, um, a uh, iPad or some device of that sort. We believe that it is uh, technology is an equalizer. It really prepares students for the world, and students need to have access to it all the time. And so uh, the step, specific steps taken right now is uh, with that in mind, we have convened a, a task force that includes community members, uh, members uh, in our business community who are in the field of technology, uh, members of our local city government, uh, parents, by the way. I think we have about five parents on that committee. And uh, we have two students, two high school students from GW High School, 
and then we have internal staff. And so the goal is to research other school divisions uh, in Virginia, local. Uh, we know that some of our local uh, divisions are already um, using laptop or some device. And uh, as a result of this, we're also investigating security issues, uh, theft and loss issues, and uh, as a potential for this, there needs to be board policy that would align with uh, the use of these devices, uh, especially the curriculum output. And so our goal is a device for every single student. Thank you, Dr. Newsom. Um, I'm trying to make certain that uh, I move these, kind of share these questions across all panelists. So that's what I'm doing is not so much discarding, but trying to make certain we have a broad range of questions. This question is for you, Mr. Majors. Uh, it states that uh, in your presentation, you touched upon the role of parents and the key role that they play in the pre-K education. Um, the question is, how do we get parents motivated to engage their children uh, in, in education opportunities that have been provided by the community? Well, I think one thing, most, I think most parents really want to do what's right for their kids. They want their kids to succeed. And so I think we have to offer them uh, some opportunity for us to, to help them know what they need to be doing. We need to show them, um, uh, you know, and, and that might be in classes, it might be uh, in churches, it might be in community centers, it might be even neighbors working with, with uh, one another. What is successful, what is not successful? What works with our, with our kids and, and what will, will stimulate that, that learning opportunity? I think that's, you know, that's where we really are. Uh, it takes a community to do it. And so uh, that would be my answer. I think the whole issue of everyone in here, whether you're a parent or not, you realize that there is a role for you to play. And if you're not, if you don't have school-age children, and many people give themselves permission to step away from this conversation because they don't have school-aged children. But remember, at some point in time, you'll be impacted by the children that are educated well or poorly. Uh, and so your role as a parent is directly connected, or in this case, as a citizen who cares about the quality of life of others. Uh, this next question, uh, I'm going to ask the mayor um, to be thinking about this because it's, I'm going to give a little different twist. Uh, Mayor Atkins talked about the whole issue of uh, expecting miracles of school divisions. Well, this question is one that speaks to, so how do you know that you're making progress? So the question is, and I'm, I'm reframing it some, what are some of the appropriate metrics we should be using? And I say we, in this case, communities should be using and tracking the progress of, of education within their community. Well, <clears throat> I think uh, this is my, can you hear me? I think most communities put, mostly through our school administrators and the governance of their school boards, already put high expectations on themselves uh, to do more than just what's federally or state required. And what I mean by that is that I have learned, and this is just not in Martinsville, but throughout many communities that I have discussed this with my colleagues, uh, the burden of responsibility to exceed all these expectations that I touched on 
are an enormous uh, burden on our school system. They want everybody to graduate high school on time. They want everyone to make their choices to go to college or not, but to step into the workforce so that they can be productive and to take care of their families. And, and I think um, I'm looking at uh, the school board chair from the city of Martinsville sitting in the audience. Uh, uh, Robert Williams, you can raise your hand. And uh, Curtis uh, Milner from Henry County School Board, also from, from my region, is here. And I think I can speak on their behalf. They probably lose sleep on what their expectations are and the additional ones that they, that they put on themselves to make sure that all of our kids are well-rounded and just, just prepared to, to do whatever they decide to do in life. Certainly there's not um, um, a paucity of data that can be used to measure progress. The real issue is, and, and great part is, what are the things that matter most to the community that, if done, will cause lots of other things to happen that are positive? So thank you for sharing that, Mayor Atkins. The next question really centers around um, reflecting on preschool education as it being very important to get young people ready for school. But what happens if they come um, not ready? And what does the remediation um, plan look like to kind of assist young people who don't come prepared in, in kindergarten to handle the challenges of learning to read, then learning, and then being able to read to learn. Dr. Franks. Well, I'm going to I'm going to start by addressing that for for students who are graduating from high school, going on to college, and, and needing some remediation. And Dr. Newsom may want to then address in the early years, but. I think it's critical that we meet students where they are first and foremost and increasingly um, in the last decade we have seen that so many students are not ready for college and thankfully uh, colleges and universities have been very intentional about putting together programs what we call bridge programs things in the summer that, that help us meet students where they are um, additional courses in those first semesters to help students get prepared. I think the key is that we have to help students develop their confidence and know that they can. The last thing we want to do is shut a young person down and have them not believe they can be successful. Um, we have the beauty today of technology and so many learning resources. Um, so it's a matter of how do we put some of those resources in our schools at secondary grades so that, that we make it really accessible for high school students to start becoming more proficient. Um, I just think we've got so many more resources than we ever used to have, and we've got to be really intentional in how we use them. Dr. Newsom, do you want to address kindergarten and early years? Just a few things. That was a great answer. Uh, what we know is in, in your presentation, you, you spoke to our early childhood program that uh, is very successful, smart beginnings, uh, those types of programs. But in the event that students do come to school uh, that, uh, that are behind because of social issues or other economic issues that may push them a little bit behind, uh, the key is to make sure that you have, number one, a dedicated teachers, excited educators, willing to do everything that's possible to bring children along. And so the teacher in the classroom is the most important resource that you could ever have. Uh, the second thing is that 
you use different methodologies because children learn in different ways and at different speeds and different uh, 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 time. And so I think that uh, a good understanding of how children learn, being able to provide the kinds of resources using technology, different uh, pedagogy and learning um, and teaching strategies for kids typically bring them along. Uh, when we do identify a student as needing more, then we have uh, uh, specialists within the school division be able to work with children, our, teach, our reading teachers and uh, the like uh, that are able to work with uh, students that have individual needs. We've got several questions here. I'm going to pose one question to the, each of the panelists and ask them to kind of um, respond. Uh, several of you mentioned during the presentation the importance of aligning vision, resources, and expectations. While we all understand the importance of those connections, sometimes we minimize the barriers that, are, that exist to make those connections work. So from the perspective of business, of government, of K-12 and, and the higher ed, what do you see as being the major obstacle or barrier to appropriate alignment of vision, resources, and expectations? I'll start. I, I think the, the, the biggest barrier is that we all want to look at it from our own perspective rather than from a common perspective. And if we really get down to what what's right for the kid, what what's right for the children, uh, you know, we we can align it. But instead, and I I will say this, biz, business can be faulted for for saying we want it our way. Uh, I think uh, you know Taxpayers can be faulted for saying, you know, they don't want to. They don't want to have to dig in their pockets for any more money for education, and uh, uh, educators want it to do it their way. So, and we all just need to get together. So, to me, that's the that that's the big problem. So, one perspective that has been shared here is that the silos, if they remain silos in terms of the communication. Uh, it's likely that that it becomes a major barrier that's hard to overcome. Okay, Mayor. Well, I, I do echo what Mr. Majors had said. I, I think, you know, I want to go back uh, to the Dan River Region Collaborative and pulling together different aspects of the community to come uh, around a common vision. And it was very simple vision. You know, just to become a certified work-ready community is really just uh, embracing uh, a credential and everyone in the region rallying around that credential to tell a different workforce story. That's just a really good example of a common vision. And it doesn't have to be complicated or difficult. So I think if we, as a, a region, once this has, uh, this has accomplished, there should be another, uh, I think, goal that's more long-term as with um, the infrastructure that we have in place with the planning district commissions to really uh, push uh, the K through 12 uh, school systems to a, to a different level where we are the envy of uh, the Commonwealth with the different uh, graduation goals and the success of our graduates and the 
the community is growing because people want to live here because of all the different options that they have. So I, I guess just to, just to reiterate briefly is just ha have a common vision where it's not complicated and everyone comes around that and within their own agency or local government, that's just part of their plan to reach that particular goal attainment. Certainly the importance of simplicity and communication is really important. Um, whenever you go to a 7-Eleven, I think about when you talked about uh, the whole issue of being a part of a team. Uh, when you look at a trading post, you never have to wonder what it's telling you. It's very clear about what the item is, how much it costs, and, and how it can be used. But sometimes our vision statements are not real clear, and they require interpretation, which means it's very hard for people to buy into something that's not understood. So I think your point is well taken. I would echo um, Mr. Majors. I think it's all about collaboration. It's will people decide to collaborate and put children, the, the best interest of children first. And um, if everyone, whether it be business, community, parents, school people, government agencies, have children as their primary focus, and put everything else on the side, then there's a likelihood that uh, children would have a better day. So uh, it is collaboration. Well, I've got the hardest part since my colleagues have said the very best answers. I agree with them. Charlie, I would say amen. Um, you know, from a higher education perspective, I think what can happen with colleges and universities, as I, get, I think with any organization, is we can get so focused inwardly and looking at you know, our organizations and meeting the needs of our institution, the needs of our faculty, staff, students. So it's, it's very easy to just look inward when we are all called to look outward and to say, what is our responsibility? And I would argue in higher education, we have an, a critical responsibility for responding to the needs. Um, that's part of our mission is responding to the needs of the community. Um, so I don't see it as a barrier, and I don't, I don't think our university family does, does either. But, but it is about putting children and students first. If we put them at the center of everything we do, and remember that's, that we're, we're looking to unify, to collaborate, to cooperate. Um, you know, I just look at what we did with Smart Beginnings. We started out as, you know, I don't know if Ann Stratton's still in the room, but we started out with 18 to 20-some different agencies and organizations. Today, we have brought those entities together for a common, common vision, a shared vision of success for, for our youngest children. That, I'm not saying in any way that that is easy. I'm not saying it's perfect. There are still lots of challenges in front of us, but we've agreed to cooperate and collaborate, and we are, we are working hard at that. So I think that's a model um, for how to accomplish cradle to career in many respects. You said we would uh, conclude by uh, 6.30, so I want to uh, now kind of maybe draw some summary comments and, um, and start off by first saying that the solution to the problems that matter most to you about children and their future does not exist or lie with people outside of this region. They start and end with people in this region. Your presence here tonight says volumes, speaks volumes about 
how you realize that you are part of the solution and not, to, and not people to be pitied and someone else to come in to save you. Uh, that whole issue about the education law, it's amazing the reason why that law came into existence. It's because communities chose to ignore the realities that they faced in their communities. So people outside of communities began to develop laws that said, this is what's required of children to learn. Had we been doing that within our own communities, there would not have been the need for a change in the law. So I hope that your conversation today is not the end. It's the continuation of a deeper conversation about that gets to what do you do and how do you work through differences. The whole issue of collaboration is great when you agree on both the approach and the end result. But when you don't, that's when the real learning takes place. It's how do you negotiate and work through differences of opinion. If you've had, ever been in a car with more than one child and they're young and in the back seat, they are annoying. <laughs> when they get older, they become pleasant. But when they're young, they can be annoying. They say things to each other. And you say, I can't believe that they come from these genes. But as we get older... We forget that sometimes the fights that we have are like the children in the back seat. They're not over the important things. It's over being right. I hope that tonight's conversation helps you realize there's no one right answer. There are multiple answers and multiple options. We have some young people here that are from the University of Virginia that uh, are serving as college um, advisors to help uh, children and families uh, where they don't think that going to college is a realistic aspiration. I hope that we also make certain that we include them in the conversation because they have chosen to be a part of the solution. And also, as you recall when you were younger, younger people listen to younger people first. So they're not part of the problem. They can be part of the solution. But I, I have to say, I just applaud this community for the panelists who are here. You have great things in the making. Please don't allow our differences to interfere with it. Thank you. I guess that means you can leave. <laughs> Thank you for coming out tonight. We hope to see you in the spring.